0: Our New Testament reading is taken from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of a Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. But the Spirit gives birth to spirits. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. For wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So I'm uh, a little nervous this afternoon, to be honest. For some reason, Christchurch has gone ahead and given little old me the most famous verse in the Bible to preach on. Uh, they want me to talk about John 3.16. People have put this, t-shirt, this verse on t-shirts, they've put it on signs, they've framed it in their houses. Some people have even made tattoos out of it. And there must be at least a million good sermons on John 3.16 online. And then, not only that, but they went ahead and they had it read with one of the most moving parts of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. So if I mess this one up, I got no business being behind a pulpit, frankly, right? So because of that, I'm not gonna try any tricks. I'm gonna try and be as straightforward as I can be. We learn today that it is because God loves us that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And so, Christ Church, let's be comforted and let's believe in him, because his goal is not to condemn us, but to give us new life. And this seems to me to be at the core of what John wants to tell us about why Jesus came, the sum and the summary of all that he did, the key to really getting the Christian message. So let's turn to that most famous verse and to our first point, the death of Jesus is the extravagant way in which God loves you. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And here's the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so I think that these verses are trying to define the death of Jesus and the gift of life as the extravagant way in which God loves us, the tremendous way in which God loves us. Notice that giving or the lifting up of the Son is central in these verses. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, we're told of a time when Israel were wandering around in the desert And their camp was overrun by poisonous snakes. Everyone was being bitten and was dying. And so God told Moses to make a bronze snake, to set it on a pole and to lift it up high so that everyone who looked at it could be miraculously healed. And the image of a snake on a staff is remembered and even used today by the medical profession. And the point is this, that the bronze snake was lifted up And so Jesus was to be lifted up and that all those who looked to him would be given life. And verse 16 tells us why. It is because God loved the world so greatly, so tremendously, so extravagantly that he gave his unique son to it. And it is in this way that God shows his love for us all. His sending of Jesus to die for us in this way shows the way in which he loves the world, and he shows that he loves the world with all the strength and with all the fervor of his divine will. The death of Jesus is the extravagant way in which God loves us. So what do you think of when you think of Jesus' crucifixion? What feelings does it evoke? We were reminded in our Old Testament passage, Jesus' death was for us in the sense that he took our punishments. He was afflicted, he was crushed in our place and also that we could be free, forgiven and healed. I think we're being told very strongly that Jesus' cross is the ultimate sign of God's utter commitment to us. The cross is the guarantee of the warmth of his affection for you and the means by which he exercises that affection. The cross is the guarantee of his love for you and the lengths he is willing to go to in order to keep you safe and rescue you from our mess. And that leads us naturally to our second point. And I believe that that God is wanting to tell us today that Jesus came to save those of us who believe, especially not to condemn us. It's not to condemn us. Verses 17 through 21. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So one of the things which really surprises me is the way that some people who have had no contact with church and some people who have grown up inside church both seem to share a basic misconception about God. For some, God is stern, harsh, and unrelenting. Their idea of God is of someone who demands very specific, very restrictive things and would be disappointed and angry at the very last little detail. The Christians that I knew with this assumption felt conscripted, press-ganged into service, burdened, expecting any moment to be told off or rejected for not being good enough. And the non-Christians felt put off. They felt like rejecting Christianity was the right thing to do in order to be able to ignore this tyrant God. And it's natural, isn't it, I suppose, upon reflection. If you've been around the block, you're bound to have experienced a human authority that was harsh, uncaring, or restrictive. We experience people like this sometimes, perhaps a parent or a teacher who was overpowering and demanding, a relationship which might have colored your whole life. Or perhaps quite recently, you've rubbed up against an authority which seemed to want to condemn you, and you're left with that uneasy feeling in the pit of your stomach. Well, the good news this afternoon is that God did not send Jesus to condemn you. Because God loved you, really loved you, he sent Jesus to save you, not to condemn you. He does not want to punish us or reject us or leave us without hope. When God spoke in Ezekiel chapter 18, he said, but if a wicked person turns away from all their sins they have committed, and keeps my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? And in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, Jesus gives us an illustration. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you feel sometimes lost yourself? Do you think to yourself, do you know, I can be really wicked sometimes well that's excellent because you're halfway there the only qualification we need to be forgiven is to have done something wrong and the only thing we need to be healed is to be sick so are you sick in your soul excellent you can be healed are you lost are you less than you thought you could be excellent you can be found made whole and given life. I know, even though I've been a Christian for a good number of years, I know that sometimes I can get a little lost, can need a little rescuing, a little restoring, and we all do from time to time, perhaps even more often than we'd like to admit. But thank God that he loves us and sent Jesus to save us and never, ever condemn us never to oppress us or overpower us. He wants people to look to Jesus for healing, to think on his death and resurrection and imagine themselves happy, blessed because of his intervention to forgive and to save. So I wonder, do we believe in Jesus today? Are we ready and willing to look to him to help us? and to heal us. Why would we say no? When to say no is to stay in our sickness, to stay lost, to stay spiritually dead or dying. To refuse Jesus' help is to condemn ourselves, to stay condemned, because it is the refusal to receive the very thing, the only thing, which can lift us out of our silly mess. And so we turn briefly to our last point and ask, what does it mean to be saved and not condemned? Verses five through eight, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Here, Jesus explains the benefits of believing in him. And as we worship in a good evangelical church, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase before, we need to be born again. And here, the word for again also means, or can mean, from above, And so, if we believe in Jesus, we are born again, born from above, mysteriously described as being born of water and the Spirit. But what on earth does that mean? I think Jesus is using imagery from the Old Testament, which describes new beginnings. Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So when we believe in Jesus, he promises to clean our hearts as with water, to pour his spirit into our lives and to waken our battered and broken soul. We are to receive new life from heaven, surprising life and unexpected hope. And like the wind here on earth, this new, sorry, this new birth is invisible and mysterious. But its effects can be seen all around us. Perhaps in a strong, crashing, life-transforming moment. Perhaps in a small spring breeze, signaling the end of winter, and the blossoming of new flowers. This saving is a mysterious gift, a surprising fresh life, ready to be filled with love and hope, and never again to hear messages of condemnation or rejection. Even if, and this is important, even if we received this new birth a long time ago, The wind is still waiting to blow out the cobwebs and breathe new life once again to break open our cold stone hearts and to chase away nightmares of condemnation and to embrace the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.